Hello, everyone, and it's nice for you to come back and join us in another in conversation piece from the Education Development. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Lord John Bird, the founder of The Big Issue, to talk about his Wellbeing of Future Generations Bill, a most exciting idea that John has got. So, John, could you tell us a little bit more, please, about the idea of the Wellbeing of Future Bill? It's a very um, it's a very simple piece of copycatting. Um, the in, in Wales in 2015 they had a bill, and in 2015 it was passed onto the on, onto the statute books in in the Welsh Assembly. And what it really is 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 a very very simple device by which any legislation, any event that happens in in Wales has to pass through the prism of how will this affect future generations and future generations is not just the living it's also the the children who are going to be born five or ten years 20 years time so it's a long-term thing i got i was uh, very uh, astonished at this because it happened in 2015. I came into the House of Lords in 2015. And then a few years down the line, I got to know about this. And it did um, address some of the problems that I have tried to address in my life uh, since creating the big issue. What I've been trying to do is create prevention. Because if you actually look at social intervention, most social intervention, the most of the social pound uh, or dollar or yen or whatever is spent when the problem has occurred. So it is emergency money and it is post-emergency money, it's coping money, it's cure money. So that's when it happens. I mean, if you look at the NHS, the NHS only really gets involved, though they're trying to do something about that, when the, the problem has manifested itself and then they have to repair. Now, if you do that in education, if you do that socially and only respond when the problem occurs, then what you have is you have a buildup of people who are causing all sorts of grief for themselves and all sorts of grief for the community. And I, being a, a person who had been a homeless boy and in and out of the prison system as a rough sleeper and a drinker and all sorts of stuff like that. I really wanted to prevent people like me being created. I wanted to prevent the next generation of big issue vendors. So when I looked at the Welsh thing, I thought, wow, let's try and do that. So two years ago, we began the process. I went to Wales many times, got involved with, with Sophie Howells, who is the, uh, um, the, the commissioner down there. And we tailored the bill that have, uh, went through the House of Lords in 2019 and got into the House of Commons. Unfortunately, then put it on to the back burner because of COVID, well, before, because of Brexit and then of COVID. And it really is a very, very simple thing is what will this do to future generations? My interest, which is very interesting and coincides with your interest is I was very, very interested in education. I was very interested in the fact that I never met anybody in the education department 
who has been there for longer than a year or two, I met people who were completely and utterly committed to education, but moved sideways. Justin Greening was a great inspiration of mine and Estelle Morris was a great inspiration of mine. So I got drawn into this idea of why, how can we address the fact that 37% of our children are failed at school, according to the uh, Department of e Education. How can we address those people, the kind of people I come from? As I was saying to you before, I was blessed because every time I got put in prison or in a boys reformatory, they taught me something else. So my education is owed completely to Her Majesty's pleasure uh, up there in some of the places I was banged up in. But most people were left behind. And I wanted to address that 37%, a lot of them becoming big issue vendors, a lot of them filling up the A&E department, a lot of them low wage, the working poor, a lot of them in our prisons and something like that. So to me, the future education bill was the time to say, let's plan beyond administrations, let's plan, let's do things so that you could never ever do what happens now in parliament. If you look in Parliament, 70% of the time of both houses and in local authorities is always something to do with poverty. It's always something to do with the, the, the ricocheting of poverty and its problems. But also an enormous amount of time is spent in unraveling the laws of unintended consequences that have come from previous administrations and previous laws that have been passed onto the statute book. So I wanted to address that. And the only way I could see it was to mimic what they were doing in Wales, make it a bit tougher, because I do believe in co uh, coercion if necessary, because I don't believe you can leave it to the well-intended. Uh, uh, you have to say, I'm sorry, mate, you can't do this. Uh, so that's really, where it's all about. The minutiae and, and the development, we're re, in the process of rewriting the bill, largely because of, of the fact that we're dealing with, the, with Boris Johnson's administration. Uh, and we're rewriting the bill because we wanna make it more sympathetic to the thinking of, of the Conservative Party and the Conservative government. And the reason for that is we wanna get results. So we are looking at a bill which actually you could break down and incorporate bits of it into, into, in, into the wills, in, you know, into legislation that the government really does want. I don't want this private um, members bill to end up as a snowball in hell, as most of them are. Mm, quite exactly. So uh, I think <clears throat> I'm articulating right in that the, the, the focus of this future generations, uh, uh, future generations bill is, is long termism to become more long-term in, 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 in a range of approaches across government. Exactly. One of the, one of the big things that the, the Welsh, uh, Welsh have been doing, because they've done it for five, year, five years, six years, and they have only just uh, last year, interrupted unfortunately by the COVID, they've actually uh, um, assayed, you know, they've, they've kind of looked at, uh, uh, they've done a, a, a a, a kind of moratorium on, uh, sorry, a post-mortem on, on what, what has come out of it. And what's interesting is that local authorities are now gradually in Wales, gradually realising, do we build that school there? 
Do we build that supermarket there? Do we build this road here? What is it going to do to, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years down the line? And it is that gradual process. It, it is a very, very difficult thing to consider because most people in government just want to get on, get the job out and move on to the next job. Uh, and, and they are so pressed by the problems of today. I'll tell you where I got very involved was uh, there was a homeless hostel that, uh, and I was asked to participate in, in protesting to the local authority that wouldn't allow them to expand their hostel into an area of outstanding national natural beauty where they were going to pull down trees and stuff like that and put a road and build uh, all sorts of drainage and all that stuff. And I was asked to come along and protest. And, let the, and the reason for that was because desperately they needed to get this building up and done and add 20 beds in the space of the next year uh, because there was such a desperate need for home because of homelessness now. And I said, well, I'm not going to get involved in this because you're destroying, you're taking from the next generation a bit of the goodness. Oh, yeah, but what about the homeless? I said, yeah, why don't we find a brownfield site for them? Anyway, the government, sorry, the local authority eventually uh, found them somewhere else to be in. Uh, it took two and a half years rather than a year, but they got what they wanted and they didn't have to destroy the environment to, to do it. And I think there is always that kind of pressure. Let's do this now, 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 now. And that, of course, does rock the fabric of a future generation. It absolutely does. I know we talked before about climate change and, and, um, and, and this is something that whenever we do work in the Foundation for Education Development with people, that is right on the top of their priority. If we speak to a 14 year old or a 16 year old or a 10 year old about the education system they're in, they often come round to their concern about their futures and climate. And I know you're, you're a very passionate supporter of the need to think differently about climate change. Well, I, I, I spoke at a Labour Party conference, uh, at one of those, um, you know, the kind of uh, little meetings they have on the side um, at, uh, 20 years ago. And I spoke after somebody, and this may sound terrible uh, because a number of people have recoiled when I said this, but I spoke after this gentleman who spoke to a, you know, a load of Labour Party com um, attendees and all that. And he spoke uh, in a very, very kind of posh and very, very committed sort of thing. And I, I, afterwards, I said, it's really wonderful that we have people who sound like they're patricians from the upper classes telling us in the lower orders. I said, but I'm more interested in how do we get through to the woman on the third floor of the Rock of Council Flats in Hackney? How do we get people involved in, in the very idea of the quality of their environment, because the quality of, of their environment is actually appalling. How do we do that? And I actually developed this thing, which I'm hoping to run uh, next year, probably not this year, uh, where I want to uh, build a, uh, a network of people who clean up, but not just because a lot of us doing it, I clean up in my village and a lot of things, but what I want to do is kind of a natural green. I want to turn everybody green. Why? Because when I was cleaning up in my uh, in, in my high street 20 years ago, 
uh, down in, when I was living in Fulham, going into the high streets and cleaning it up, people would come up and say, why are you doing that? And I said, well, and we had a big T-shirt saying, I'm a Greenan. And I said, well, because uh, this is our environment. Environment, yeah. And we started to have a chat. I said, look, you know, those plastic bottles and crisp bags going, they'll end up in the sea. They'll end up in the ocean. And we began to have people saying, oh, so it's actually to do also with feeling good about the community we're in. And I wanted to, sorry to go on about this, but I wanted this idea of breaking education, uh, sorry, breaking environmentalism away from the toffs, so to speak, and bringing it into the everyday life of everybody, because it's only, that's the only way we're gonna reverse the damages we've done to the, to the environment. So what I wanted to do was, if you can't, you can't just talk about the environment. You have to talk about education. You have to talk about socialization and you have to talk about the damage created by poverty because poverty is the big driver, the big thing that drives a wedge between us and other sectors of the community is why our teachers are loaded down with responsibilities that they never signed up for. They've got to be a policeman. They've got to be a mum and dad. They've got to be this, that, and the other. It's the pressures of, of, of poverty. So I wanted to address the environment in the bill and around the bill. And I wanted to address the environment on the basis of that it was a, a, a kind of tri triangulation, a triangulation that you were hitting poverty, education, and environment at the same time. There's an enormous amount of work that will and hopefully will come out of, of, of environmental, enormous amount of high quality jobs that can come from it. And that's one of my passions. So, so John, there are a couple of quick things that I want to talk to sure. you about. Well, two questions. Um, the, the, the first one uh, to finish our, our in conversation piece is, it's the Big Issue's 30th birthday this year. And you are the founder of the Big Issue. What, what are you most proud of um, uh, with that? i tell you, the, the thing that I'm proud of is that wherever I go, in the Lords, in Parliament, uh, whenever I meet anybody on TV or meet anybody in the street, anybody who knows me or recognises me, I'm really proud of the fact that they either have one of two stories, <laughs> which is a bit contradictory. One of those, there's, there's, oh, I met one of your vendors, I wasn't very impressed. And then I have a chat with them and talk about, oh yeah, where do they come from? What have they done? You know, how did, why, do, why was anybody selling them? Why would anybody want to stand on the street corner? Or the other one was saying, I've really got a great vendor and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's actually the way the public, as an ex-beggar, an ex-rough sleeper, I can assure you that when you were begging and rough sleeping in the 60s as I was, Nobody, everybody turned the other way because, and they never included you. If you talk to the average big issue vendor, what do they get out of it? They get a bit of money, but also they get to send a feeling that they're a part of the community and people are looking out for them. And this is where you turn the whole of the UK almost into social workers. And there are thousands of people who've passed through our hands who've gone on to other things and moved back into society. And largely, everybody thinks it's me, but it's not me. I just created a mechanism, a device. That, to me, 
the way the, the other thing is, what I've been trying to do through the years is close the gap between the giver and the taker. Because the thing is, if you've got a gap between giver and taker, then you're just like a patient. Sit over there in the corner and I'll come and make you better. Not realising, of course, that if I'm going to make you better, I have to involve you in your own redemption and your own improvement. So that the patient, you know, surgeon heal thyself, as Shakespeare says. And the thing about big issue vendors and homeless people, if you can include them in the sense, because you close the gap between what you might call rich and poor in its most extreme thing, but close the gap between the need and the supplier, the giver and the taker. And where the taker is transformed as well as the giver. And I'm very, I have, I worked in the States and I saw children at school and at university transformed because they started to work with homeless organizations that allowed them to express their individualism and their humanity. And it was life-changing, it is incredible. And I've done the same in the UK, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, thank you for, 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 for sharing that with uh, our listeners. Um, the final um, sort of question, I suppose, really, if, if I had the power to take us both now 10 years into the future and we could look back, what would be your hopes and aspirations for your well-being of future generations, Bill, in our education system? I would, my, well, first of all, I would like to see it passed into the statute books so that we have this, you know, across, uh, across parliamentary uh, time. Um, we would have broken that kind of lumpy lumpiness every five years, every four years, and 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 lifting education out of the political football. I think it's terrible. I think it's it is so dangerous for us all because it harms our children in the end. It may make our life more difficult, but it harms our children and our children of future. Everyone is our child. The, the child who is not looked after is our responsibility, whether we like it or not, because it's a part of society. I would like education to, to be funded in a different way. I'd like it to be funded on the basis that you trust the schools, the teachers, the parents, the pupils, to decide as much as possible so that it becomes a manifestation of the community that they live in and the world that they live in that you don't have too many kind of centralist arguments passing down and the latest, uh, um, the latest bits of uh, jargon or whatever thrown all over the place, which I, I've witnessed for over 50 years and I'm sure you have for a shorter period. I would love to see education where we recognize that the parents have to be included in the equation because um, as I keep saying, when a child comes to the schoolyard, school gate at five, as I did, if your parents have no concept of education, because they didn't have much of an education and their parents didn't have much of an education, then we have to try and invest time and effort in helping to create education before it even hits the school gate. And one of the things I loved about the Sure Start was that it began to do that. It, it ran into a number of problems and it was closed down by the Conservatives. 
uh, I was using that because in spite of the parents, I'm a very young father. I've got a 14 year old and a 15 year old. I've got a 53 year old, a 45 year old and a 43 year old as well, but I'm on my third family. But we were using the Surestar. And what was great was the social breakdown of the people from the housing estate, the people from the private houses. I love that kind of thing. And we have to make more of saying, okay, you haven't had education in your life, but we are desperate for you to help your child through that. And that cannot be done in a paternalistic, overbearing way. It is about educating parents as much as it is about educating children. So I'd like to do that. I'd like the future generations to be, you don't even talk about environment. Environment is everything. It's every tree, it's every lane, it's every experience that our children can have. And we, in a sense, have moved nearer to nature through freeing up environmentalism and education and the fight against poverty to be all of us. But most of all, I would like to see the government stop creating many of these problems. I'm a critic of the social security system, for instance, because I find it pretty unsecure on too many occasions. And this isn't one particular administration, it's gone on forever. We have to use social security for social opportunity. And that is another one of the passions that I want to bring into our future generations, Bill. Well, it's been a real privilege to be in conversation with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you.